0: This is Directional, a podcast about video games and the creative rebellion. i think we've probably started the episode already like we'll see what paul does with this paul our producer in la <laughs> and uh and uh, chan who's uh who are you again remind oh, me
1: yeah let me think for a second uh i am Chantal ryan i am an anthropologist slash writer slash game designer and I am also founder of the Studio. We have always lived in the forest. I am one of your hosts today for Directional. And then we have Jörg Tittel.
0: Hello. Yes, I am this guy. It's funny. I, I hate it. every single time I hear it pronounced properly, it f- sounds wrong Um, because I'm so used to everyone pronouncing it wrong, which is probably the right way at this point. But that is my name, and I'm a writer, director, producer of films and games. And someone's at my door, but I'll ignore that. (laughs) But I don't want to talk about myself. I would like to introduce you to someone very, very special who is talking to us live from... Hang on, where are you right
1: now? Bangalore.
0: And what's your name again? Remind me.
2: Uh, giant uh yeah and I'm a I'm a I'm a narrative designer uh which is a made-up job in the video games industry um which kind of um is I think the the most interesting part of my job is that I think uh every one of us uh makes our own definition for it but um yeah so I I uh, write and and design video games and and think about them a little bit and think about um, technology and culture. Um, And I'm particularly interested in anti-capitalist and anti-colonial design, um, particularly in the field of video games.
0: That's really interesting. What's really interesting is like I had this argument a couple of months ago when for my game the last worker we released this trailer and we call it the end stage capitalism trailer and i had a and depending on what website you went to i think it was probably ign or some other thing the comments on it were like oh yeah you're going to criticize capitalism with a video game well then i hope you're going to give this thing away for free then (laughs) make a bunch of money with it you hypocrite so so how do you respond to that Meg?
2: that we live in a society comic, isn't it? Um, you know, we're all living under, <laughs> under capitalism. There's no way of opting out of it. So, um, you know, unless you want to retire to a cave and yell at a wall, um, if we want to criticize it, we're going to have to, in some way, uh, use its tools um, to do so. And I think, you know, for me, I don't particularly see a, uh, a contradiction in a certain amount of populism um, in, in the work that I do. Uh, you know, because I, I think, especially if, um, if you have a feeling that if, if you feel like what you're saying is, is important, you should want as many people uh, to be able to play it or read it or engage with it. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, and I think I think this is an important space to occupy in video games, especially. Uh, you know, so I, I was really excited about uh, the last worker. How's all that been going? <laughs> it,
0: it, it has been going. It has been going well. It's it's uh, it's an incredibly complex one because uh, no one wanted to publish this game at first um, mm. because so, like, what do you mean it has unique gameplay mechanics? And what do you mean it actually has a budget as well? And what do you mean you have all these stars in it? But. But what do you mean? You're attacking all these corporations at the same yeah. time, and are you being? Are you going to be preachy with this? Is This going to be boring. And I'm like, no, well, no, none, none of the above. Being I,
2: anti-capitalist I, is like the least boring thing you can do right now. So I don't get that at all.
0: Well, because you and 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 Chantal and I and, and uh, you know we're, we're just freaks, right? We're just uh, we're. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're the we're, you know we're anti capitalists, you know. Mm-hmm. We're we're we're, we're, we're or clearly don't belong in this wonderful world um that yeah, the great and leaders.
1: The freaks and nerds for their boringness, of course. Right. <laughs> yes,
0: that's true. You know.
2: Exactly, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, we we uh we are uh <laughs> I mean, it, it, is, it was tough making this this game um, uh, at first, and then getting it off the ground. And then eventually when people started um, getting behind it, it became this wonderful thing, because everyone really loves it, was working on it, and it became much, much bigger than we ever intended to make. Not, not in terms of features, but in terms of like the level of love and passion everyone puts behind it. And, I and think there's
2: something that I've the, a hunger for for work, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And and I think it was in the middle of actually and, and this brings me leads me back to this because again, I don't like to talk about my own shit, but I uh because that's my job outside. So this is my this is my oasis directional yeah. where you know, where with Chantal I can actually not talk. And I mean we are spending the majority of our freaking time, you know, as social media platforms are collapsing like promoting our stuff across all these platforms mm. and ourselves and all this jazz and it's so tiring actually to feel that <laughs> we've all been reduced to these attention seeking uh, uh sort of uh, data packs that you mm. know just ultimately uh only exist there in order to hey hey get noticed and yeah. pick and, me and pick and me pick me but amidst that sea of of bullshit and content as they call it uh, at gamescom i saw chantal's game hmm. um dark web streamer and that one even though it was 2d and black and white
2: yeah 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 oh, i just I, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i just realized that's your game okay this is so exciting it looks so so interesting no wonder you were immediately attracted to it because it looks like kind of nothing else out there and almost goes back to like a kind of nineties vibe of like when things were a bit weirder and um yeah before like
1: capitalism and corporatism took over mm-hmm. the internet.
0: But Absolutely. but was firmly planning to do so. And what yeah. what I love about it is that it like Chantal has gone to the roots of it. Mm-hmm. And and, and and in many ways, I've done that with Last Worker as, all, as well, where I'm working with, you know, the comic book artists who created Judge Dredd, mm. co-created Judge Dredd, and, and almost have this 1970s paranoid UK satirical comic book style to it. Because, again, that was like, that was punk, you know? Judge Dredd mm. was punk, you know, when mm. that was made. And my and game doesn't look anything like Judge Dredd. It has its own unique voice. Mm. But I wanted to work with people who come from that from that spirit of actually wanting to stand up to to the bullshit with something that's truly independent, but it's the biggest brand in UK comics is Judge Dredd. It is yeah. technically an anti-capitalist, you know, very rebellious, very punk project. So, um, but I, as I met Chan, Chan, Chan and, and Gamescom, uh, I realized, oh my God, like her, st- her project is the loudest amidst, a, and it is the one that doesn't have a booth with speakers attached to it, yeah. uh, you know, booth babes.
2: Um. Were there really Booth Babes at (laughs) Gamescom.
1: Kind Mm. of. There were companies advertising their Booth Babes because I got an email asking if I would like to hire a Booth Babe. And funnily enough, people kept thinking that I was a Booth Babe at my Games booth. Mm. They would kind of look for the man. And then the yeah. next day I was like, I need to dress less sexily. <laughs> Apparently no, this is what Never we dress do. <laughs>
2: less sexily for the games industry, Chantal. Never.
1: Well, yeah, see, I went in thinking I'm gonna sell my game, but then no one would talk to me and like, yeah, it sucks. You can't win. You can't, can't win. win.
0: You can't but also you don't need booth babes anymore because you now have cosplayers volunteering mm-hmm. to get attention from the big brands like by looking as sexy in their branded characters so it's brilliant like we we we. everyone wants to look hot now in association with games because they've been normalized so we don't need booth babes anymore back then Mm -hmm. like at the beginning of e3 and whatever like when i was there in the first like few years of the of the nonsense you know bobby codic and other lovely guys uh (laughs) would you know would hire like a horde of you know uh uh, young women who you know dress in bikinis and stuff because you know uh, most of the people that went to these shows had never seen a woman in their lives so
2: <laughs> one of my one of my bosses at a place i shan't name uh told me about his gdc experience where a professional networking party was held at the playboy mansion and they oh. in his words bust in hotties to oh yeah the game developers which must oh, be yeah. a, a very anxiety inducing evening for all of mm-hmm. them but then again i guess these women were paid to laugh at their jokes um which
0: Listen, is, if if you have helps. to if you yeah. be have to be part of a harem for Hugh Hefner or whatever he called his his uh his group um of loving, you know, women that live with him, I'm sure that like a bunch of nerds, you know, sort of stumbling into the building going, like, Oh look it yeah. was probably the least it, of their problems. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> probably. They uh, were the
2: nerds were more scared of them than they were of the nerds, I should imagine. Mm-hmm.
0: And that was before the nerds got to started making money. mm. That's when it started.
1: Imagine there, like what trickle on effects might have happened from a whole bunch of games industry, execs and devs going to this like famous place of women and sexuality, Mm. and then finding that actually women love me (laughs) these hot babes that i'm finally around just like love my jerks love my vibe like i'm taking them i'm going back i'm going herb and i'm using this
2: i mean i think it i think you know we are seeing the aftermath of a bunch of people who were um maybe less popular in in high school i mean you know Mm -hmm. i was too but but who now have money and power and cultural cachet and um i think instead of being happy with it have decided to go a bit wild with power (laughs) um you know and i think you see that revenge of the nerds yeah it really is and i think you see that in the 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 kind of rock star culture and and toxic workplace practices and and even the bullying as well as all of the the kind of you know, sexual harassment and predation and, and um, networking, casting couch kind of culture that, that also exists in, in the video games industry. I've had
0: this weird realization the other day um, and that, that because we, we always talk about how games, the thing that makes games games is, is gameplay, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I wish that was the case, like mm-hmm. actually, because I'm still playing the same Tomb Raider game with like a sort of, you know, whether it's like God of War or Last of Us or whatever. It's the same freaking game I've been playing for the last 30 years, which is mm. a, the world tries to kill you, you're sneaking past off, ducked down, and then occasionally you've got a cutscene that interrupts the thing, except that it gradually looks more and more like film, except that it's not really good film. It's just kind of really good for a game kind of narrative.
2: Oh, no, but and now they're going to make films of all of the the uh kind of shadow film <laughs> games that we've made. So that's delightful <laughs> future yes. that we all living in. Yes. It's, like this sort of,
0: it's a snake <laughs> eating its own sort of content tail forever.
2: Um, I mean, and then and then throwing itself up and then just beginning again, you know, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yes. But the idea, like the thing that but struck me that was interesting and uh and that's something that I really love about what we have been talking about. And, I th- and, I th- and I'll, I'll lead you there in one mm-hmm. way. I know I'd have to lead you anywhere. Um, is that um, I, I was thinking about uh, community, right? We talk mm-hmm. about the gaming community. And I was like, oh, that would be nice, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the idea of communities and the way digital, these nerds use the word community because they don't understand what that is, is uh, they're actually interest groups, like they have mm. divided us all into interest groups. We're not communities. Mm. We're interest groups. I'm going to be this one thing. And this is the thing that I'm going to make everything about. And you go, mm. that's fine. But imagine if you lived in a village where everyone was just of this one thing. This mm. village is all about what my sexual orientation is. This mm. village is all about what my skin color is. If it was this one thing, that village would just compete for having the best being the best at that sexual orientation or being the best because we start <laughs> compete.
1: Yeah. Wait, are you um, describing Twitter right now? Like, pretty wait, much. What pretty much. Of, uh,
2: obviously. That's <laughs> <Tumbler>. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, but it's yeah. So that's the problem number one. The other thing to me is like, how can you build a, com- how do you call something a community like an FPS community? I love that one. The first yeah. person shooter <laughs> community when the whole mechanic of the game is to make sure that you're the only survivor, right? Mm. Uh, That is like imagine if you built a village and like the whole village was about like, (laughs) hey, we're the FPS community. We're doing an an IRL right now. Fuck you all, but you know, so glad to be here and share. Does everything
1: feels like this? You know, it's not necessarily. We've got the free for alls. We've got the teams, and you know, historically, you know, you look around and you see that um, in groups are always defining out groups and slaughtering Mm -hmm. them. Um, so it is, you know, it, it's recursively human nature to kind of go, okay, here's our little community, and there's a not our community. Um, and we, you know, we've got sub-communities and subgroups and sub-cultures, and we're, we're going to draw arbitrary boundaries, and then we're going to say, well, because they're not us, it's actually okay for us to kill them, or to exile yes, but, them, but, or to but... delineate
0: But the one thing that I'm trying to get is like with gameplay, if the gameplay is always only about survival and making sure that everything else doesn't kill you first, um, then ultimately that's what the games are about. Like the narrative of every game right now seems to be, I mean, AAA game is Hmm. survival and killing.
2: So I guess going back to community, I kind of have two thoughts about that. And one is I think around the co-optation of fan cultures and behaviors by by corporates so I think Mm -hmm. what you see now is this kind of stan culture on steroids but now instead of you know by standing a character you're also standing the show therefore you're also standing the corporation that puts it out you know the Mm -hmm. kind of Disney adult thing or Marvel stands and and things like that and Mm -hmm. and and I think a complete kind of subsumation of your identity into um, that person which you know back in to, to be like old man yells at cloud about it back in my day in <laughs> fandom. Um, so much of it was much more subversive and, and, and queer. And it was about, uh, we never really expected, you were writing mm. stories that you didn't expect to see happen canonically. They weren't lobbying mm. groups as, as a lot of fandom seems to be now as ways to kind of try and convince the creators or the, 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 the studio to change their storylines or to, to do this ship instead of that ship or um, whatever, um, and so you know, I think I think there's kind of that aspect to that nature of identity. And I think the second one is that all of that identitarianism and labeling is is I think you know lab, you know labeling is deeply colonial, bureaucratically efficient, and I think these are all wonderful ways for people to for marketers to slice us up. Um, exactly. You know, and I and I think that there's a, a deep kind of obviously these systems and platforms and spaces are built around that. Like, you know, they, they want to be able to sell things to us. Um, and, and it's, a you know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing us that these were our identities rather than, rather than, you know, imposed upon us externally.
0: Yes, I, I completely agree. I, I one thing, I mean, cause you talk about colonialism, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I personally think about a lot, having mm-hmm. been, born in Brussels, um, mm. against my will and, and, and yeah, and and it's, 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 a it is harrowing to deal with the fallout of all this stuff. And you have, uh, this identity that's the imposed identity, such as the British mm. identity, for instance, which we are suffering here with Brexit, yeah. it's, you know, a little island has shrunk and become so small that at a point of realizing that it no longer had power outside of its borders. Where, where it had to sort of willy nilly could just walk in with its flag and colonialize other countries, mm-hmm. um, it now has to colonialize itself. Like yes. it's an act of self colonization yeah. that we're doing, Absolutely. and and do, what do you? Think about that.
2: I mean, I would, I would say, you know, whatever happens on the border and the periphery eventually comes home, and we're at that stage of, of colonialism where you know one of the one of the major kind of tenets of colonialism is an externalization of harms, and an externalization of costs, and um, an extractivism elsewhere to kind of feed the center. Um, but now we're so globalized that that you know essentially the entire world has been has been colonized. There is no elsewhere to go. And so now you see the old colonial powers <clears throat> eating themselves. Um, I mean, in the same way, I think that also makes sense of, say, not to bring up Elon Musk, because we do spend too much time <laughs> talking about him, but all of these fantasies of space travel in Martian colonies, they, they are just incredibly useful fantasies, at creation of um, other spaces. You know, uh, f- don't worry about the finiteness of planet Earth. We now have Mars, and we have the metaverse, so we can continue exploiting, we can continue these colonialist capitalist patterns and ways of being um, without having to face the reality of that it's over maybe the game is over and it's a but
0: actually game. don't worry about the earth being finite because it's actually just a simulation so what's really important for yeah. us is to keep those crypto servers going you know yeah. what i mean that's
2: <laughs> don't turn off the crypto servers they're load-bearing <laughs> crypto servers for reality yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah as long as they're on you know we'll live forever yeah mm-hmm. so because we're already inside of them so don't worry about it. just just want to make you feel good about this shit, right
2: no thank you thank you that's how i'm gonna yeah. sleep well tonight
0: yeah we're here for you <laughs> yeah um what do we what do we do i think chantal will have a solution what do we what do we do about this problem
1: oh lord the, you're gonna have to frame frame your question a little more narrowly yuck
0: no, what the idea that we're all being subdivided into these self-colonizing entities reduced for, you know, both as a target demographic, but most importantly as a target uh, for, you know, imperialism of all sorts, whether it's the market, whether it's politics or both, because they always go hand in hand. What do we... Is Is narrative design a solution out of it? Can we guide people out of this? Can we form more complex identities that are not divided and conquered as easily as we seem to be right now?
1: Hmm. I mean, I guess that is often the work of fiction and storytelling. It is to devise alternative ways of seeing and indulge in not just creative planning, but in the most important work of inspiration. So we tell our hero narratives and, you know, there's a version of the word hero in which, um, you know, we can take that kind of Western colonial notion of the hero and, you know, that that's very problematic, but there are heroes that, you know, or there's a definition of hero that exists outside of that narrow definition, and that is um, the notion of the person or the community that goes beyond the established dominance, the established powers that be, and find a pathway out for, um, for everybody. That is the hero, the hero's journey. Um, not the, the
2: famous not that one. book
1: not that <laughs> one
2: you know that's 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 absolutely yeah, best if him if you if you name him three times I've in this special will arrive shit <laughs> please no yeah
1: Campbell. Campbell. um <laughs> <laughs> i just yeah look i'm a horror writer okay can't help it you challenged me um, exactly but yeah, like it, <laughs> the
2: writer of dark web street no 20 I Help myself. No, Funny fuck Mary. no.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, no, the hero is fundamentally not selfish. They become the villain when when they get a selfish murder and accumulate power. So the real job of the, the liberationist hero we talk about now is to find the pathway out and to wrench it open for those who would follow, um, which is generally the oppressed and the dominated. And so the work of storytelling has so often been to tell the stories of heroism in order to inspire those who would maybe not have conceived of alternative pathways, but have now been exposed to them. And to um, really like invigorate this sense of independence from pre-established narratives. So I'm going to tell you a new story. I'm going to tell you a story of how this person, who actually once did not have much power, found a way to break through, to break free, and, you know, led, led the people to liberation. And so, you know, going back to narrative design, um, we are telling stories today in a way we've never been able to tell them before, which is, I think, really beautiful. I'm not sure if I've told this story on this podcast before, but um, as a lifelong gamer, I was very disenfranchised around the time I hit 21 or 22 by the. Um, the absolute regurgitation of stories and gameplay and um, like really the lack of imagination coming out of these kind of AAA games that would continuously shove down our throat. And I kind of gave up on games a little bit. Um, I was like, you know what? They, it's It's gone dark. It these games are literally designed to exploit our psychology, to suck out our time, to have us play more, to buy more. Um, it's deeply corporatized. And then a friend pointed out to me that people don't read much anymore, but they well, they don't read books, but where the generation who would otherwise have read books is, is video games. Like the new generation does read, they read video games. So if you know our job as the storyteller is to inspire, then video games is kind of the place that we need to be. We need to like come in and we need to tell the stories of what a world might look like if we thought differently. Um, And we need to tell it here where the audience is, where the people ready to be inspired and to make change and to shape, you know, a new world. We need to really seize on that. So I do think that narrative design actually does, you know, genuinely have a place in the culture shaping of the future. And yeah, there are solutions to be found and particularly in making networks of people who have more, um, diverse perspectives and who have kind of loftier goals than selling copies. But, um, as Meghna is doing, you know, really challenging things like colonialist trips and other really problematic, um, and regurgitated perspectives that have been plaguing us for decades now
0: yeah well i with what's interesting to me in this whole thing is that there are the indie gems and the games that make us think and and we all pat each other on the backs and we go well done you making this really beautiful little indie gem and even one that has had a lot of sales etc that's really good but the the you know, the behemoths that are getting far, far more attention and certainly far more time, perhaps even more crucially, um, are, are still very much um, promoting um, uh, and empowering a, a group of sort of really quite hateful individuals um, uh, that... And, and the game industry is just packed with them. Like, I'm, you know, as much as I, I like and I, I respect you both and, and so many people that are, you know, pursuing and telling great stories and actually finding, most importantly, gameplay mechanics that actually reflect mm. those stories and the struggle within it. But the idea of the most, most video game companies um, is that the hero is a person that will pick up a gun and shoot other people in the face.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And I would much rather play a game in which I can never pick up a gun, but everyone else has one, but I still have to defeat them. That's mm-hmm. what a fucking hero mm-hmm. does.
2: Well that's that there we go. This war of mine is kind of doing some of that stuff, right? Which is a, a game about <laughs> civilian survival um in wartime and very much Absolutely. influenced by the developers kind of own experiences um because 11 bit is a Polish studio.
0: Um I'm half Polish uh, and uh yeah, and my 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 mom, I mean my grandfather was uh, was one of those people um and uh, and he was part of the akka of the people's mm. army in, in in Poland and you know st- smuggling you know jews out of the ghetto across uh, to uh to safety i didn't even get to see meet my mother as a baby until she was 3 weeks old because he was stuck in the sewage system that he had helped build as an architect wow. um so s- those are heroes, you know. F- imagine that fucking game. Imagine a game in which yeah. you're smuggling people out through a sewage system, and you have to gradually reconstruct the map, and it's being bombed out, and the mm-hmm. Nazis are throwing gas canisters down, and you have babies on your back, and you have to feed yeah. them occasionally, and get them out, and make sure they don't scream in moments, and wake those fuckers up, mm-hmm. and you get them across The I mean, that would be
2: f- incredible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think I was going to say that that partly what we do... Um, I think in the indie sphere is not just, it's not just about reaching the audiences, but also I think our work does influence other people in the industry and other game designers and game creators. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. where really the the impact comes, you know, um, mm-hmm. not just with my work, but I've, you know, in the last couple of years been doing um, talks at, um, at uh, game studies conferences in this kind of attempt to 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 kind of uh, get out of these silos that we're in of like game studies and and criticism and 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 design and I think one of the one of the most heartening things um, that I had in, in response to um, my talk about white protagonism and, and imperial pleasures which I gave it at Digra uh, India a few years ago was that um, younger designers at AAA studios were bringing that in to, to their narrative design meetings and saying, okay, can we talk about this? Um, and what can we do kind of from within? So, you know, I think actually a lot of, um, what I think a lot of what you're talking about, um, Hogg, it is, is so systemic. Um, you know, actually I think most, many designers at these studios and especially many young designers and marginalized designers are not happy with these, the, the narrow imaginations and these regurgitated mechanics. They want to do something else, but, these are, you know, multi-million dollar um, studios and projects uh, that are, in, and, you know, capital is risk-averse. So the idea that you want to just slightly iterate on something that's gone before rather than do something risky. I mean, I think we're also seeing the wages of that in in cinema. And I think the games industry would be very... Um, smart to pay attention to what's happening there you just see the marvelization of films a a lack of risk taking um and and i think that's resulted in most you know anglo-american cinemas deeply boring or just movies
0: what's interesting is that they will will talk about diversity and Mm. they will put the sheen of it over the same template over Mm. and over again yeah it's like oh look this is the this is the Black Marvel movie, mm-hmm. and look, this is the woman movie, mm-hmm. and it's like, um, uh, oh, look, here we're gonna have a we'll we try it out as a comic book first because we don't know if we're gonna if this gonna sell, but here's the Muslim one, right? You know, so uh, so they do that, but but ultimately the mechanics are all the same. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's you know uh, uh, it's a system Marvel, those X Men, and all those other assholes were all created by uh white dudes um i also know for a fact that at least a couple of them were full-on racists because i had Mm -hmm. a a, a run-in with one of them and he's the one that created most of these i talked about him in another show so i'll repeat myself but um but yeah it's 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 fascinating because they are ultimately still repackaging it and flattening real world struggles real world heroism flattening it and culturally appropriating it uh, pre- appropriating it. Um, I mean, I not think to we need mention to-
2: that these are all essentially, you know, American imperial, prop- you know, war propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every Marvel movie is about incredible, like technologies of death <laughs> and power uh, and domination, um, you know, and so it's a bit like more female drone operators, you know, like these are um, <laughs> to, to just kind of slap uh, United Colors, Colors of Benetton sort of Show of diversity over something that is at its heart deeply regressive and and actually. But, but women, but women
0: are better. Women are better at multitasking, so perhaps they could <laughs> control two drones at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Be more woman in the way that you just take out random innocence. So from a distance. So many more, so mm. efficiently. Mm. <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, it's it's it's. I, I'm I want to see mechanics that reflect diversity as opposed to the sheen of DLC packs and the way the characters look for a second for that TikTok tweet that's going to go viral it's going to make this triple A bullshit look like it cares.
2: And it's and you know and often it can end up as, as this kind of box ticking exercise. I mean I think mm-hmm. actually I'm really interested more lately about almost kind of abandoning a little bit these ideas of like both diversity and representation because I feel like you know they've just been so co-opted by corporatism mm-hmm. um you know and I think really you know uh i I think was it activision that recently there was a leaked tool that came out that that kind of plotted the diversity of characters (laughs) on like a scale of one to ten and and it gave you a little shiny chart of that and and of course you know many people critiqued it and and rightly so but you can see how these um these ideas of diversity and representation can just result in uh in this incredibly kind of bureaucratic um corporate marketing exercise. Um, And I think instead, you know, personally, I'm really interested in almost deconstructing this whole idea, even of of the hero and thinking about collective liberation. And I think actually games, uh, you know, thus far are telling very individualist stories. And to me, I don't think that that's inherent to the medium of games. I think that is because, um, you know, games are steeped in Anglo-Americanism, which is deeply individualist. And, and those, are the, mm-hmm. those are the kinds of stories and mechanics and types of protagonism that we, we afford. But I think if you, you know, because I think it, when I really think about, you know, what, what does it require for liberation? And I think community is one of those things, collectiveness, mutuality. Uh, you know, racism is not going to be solved by a a lone hero. And most of the problems we face are of deep intersecting structural complexities, right? Um, And games as um, ways of playing with systems and structure and of navigating your way through them are in a really great place to to help us discuss some of these things. But um, more and more I think about not just community and not just getting out of individuality, but into, uh, so, uh, what Ginny Batson, who's, who's a wonderful, um, eco-feminist and, and, thinker, uh, she calls fluminism, which is an idea of the collectivity, not just of, of, of humans, but of animals, plants, nature, uh, the environment, um, you know, and seeing not only our interconnectedness with each other, but our interconnectedness with the natural world um you know and if i think about how game worlds are most of them are either you know there are these worlds where you you can extract from you go around killing things There, you know anything that's interactable is generally an objective um you know and everything
0: owes you something
1: right like mm, you can all do the time everything
0: yes right. but the world owes you something it was it owes you your points it owes yes. you your life Everything and, and owes you something.
2: Absolutely, and the the game world and other you know non-player characters essentially are only given as much life as they need to sustain your fantasy of their life. You know, and I think we see these very dead mechanized uh, game worlds, and I think that also reinforces and and replicates the the capitalist colonialist fantasy of the the lone hero or the the single you know the great man. Who walks across the world and everything turns towards him and it and it trembles under his feet and and every yes. other person is someone to be dominated or a resource to be extracted from and you know ultimately um, you know Amitav Ghosh has a, this wonderful book called The Nutmeg's Curse uh, where he really talks about the colonialist origins of the current kind of ecological crisis that we're facing. And, mm-hmm. and he talks about colonialism as a process of reducing to muteness things that in the past had agency and a voice, you know, plants, animals, trees, rivers, and, and even nutmegs. And, and I actually think we are, you know, in, in the games, why are we reflecting these dead game worlds? I, you know, I'm, I'm so much more excited about uh, what we can do outside of that. I mean, just as a kind of, just to give you a little example of that, like just that occurred to me was, uh, I can't remember which game this is for, but uh, someone tweeted about a, a kind of radical design idea that they'd had for this this MMO that they they um, abandoned in the end. But it was that your powers and the strength of your character or weaponry would be linked to the lunar cycles wherever you played.
1: Uh, You know, which is such a great- Except, you know, weaponry.
2: Of course, you know, (laughs) and it it was a massively multiplayer game, which meant that that would cause an enormous problem with sort of balancing and an enormous amount of chaos. So personally, Mm. I'm good with a little bit more chaos Mm. uh, in my my games.
0: So (laughs) imagine (laughs) this, like, female character, right? She just starts, like, massively decimating everyone (laughs) with, like, this massive machine gun. (laughs) Everyone's just exploding in blood, and then I have this character go to her, like, how did you just do that? And she answers- it's that time of the month.
2: Right. <laughs> but it has to be synced to your period so, tracker, obviously, yeah. for the full surveillance imperialism. Oh, yeah, yeah. Experience. Realism yeah and this is good. Really yeah, we
0: this stuff. is good. Bayonetta Four. We've just written it. This is good.
1: Yeah, there sure. you go. <laughs> and isn't it interesting how like, you know, the radical design idea, but like this idea of the MMR is mm. always fundamentally centered around violence? Mm-hmm. Um, like, why is it that the conception of everybody playing in a space together must revolve around matter? That's a, you know, that's a fascinating reflection of our culture.
2: It, it really is. And the only way that a huge group of people to put together in a world, the only way that they can possibly cooperate and compete is is... Through doing violence, like that's the only way yes, you can form violence by group. killing that's
0: other it. things. Then we call that a community, but then we right. call it a community.
1: All the way- <laughs> <laughs> look how happy Yag is right now. He's like, See, <laughs> <laughs> see, this is what I was talking about. Yes. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, well, look, uh, it, it's mm, super funny I,
2: because if I think <laughs> about like the, you know, I would really love a game where you just wandered around a beautiful like MMO space and. To be, so Assassin's Creed, I mean, in single player does the latest one has that and it's museum mode where you turn off all of the enemies and and kind of walk around the space, which I kind of think is it's it. there's something very interesting about that to me. And there's there's audio tours and and, and stuff like that. I mean, I think also like the museum is still a very colonial um, construction, but it's intriguing to me that, that this it's it's so late in the franchise that the idea that actually god yeah we just want to walk around these beautiful spaces that you've built um clearly there's a there's an appetite for that
0: well mm-hmm. patrice Dessier, the creator of assassins creed he of yeah. course took the genre into a very interesting direction with ancestors for instance mm-hmm. where like his his goals were always to to humanize this yeah. genre like and he has done and and with his next project which i know about <laughs> but none of you will for a long time. I know it's going to be doing something really incredible as well. And um, so so I th- you, you can actually use this sort of action adventure, third person kind of thing and do something really, hmm. really meaningful and really fresh with it. Um, that doesn't necessarily involve um, like either just pure survival uh, or, or, or attack mechanics. I think that the one thing that's sort of crazy to me is that I mean, I cannot stand the idea that games are being sold as a way to kill time because I find the idea of murdering anything, especially time, um, (laughs) in a world where it's running out on us in every level, uh, a crime. But Mm. sure, so if you're going to be killing time and if you're going to be presenting us with a game as a sort of escape from your Mm. horrible reality, Mm. then how come you're making that escape a world in which everything tries to kill you? Hmm. Are you trying to tell me that what I want to escape into is something that inherently hates my guts?
1: Well, the escapism is the power of fantasy, hmm. fundamentally. It's that yes. you're escaping from a world in which you were powerless into one in which you are all-powerful. Um, so, yeah, I want to pull back for a second to themes of extraction, etc., cetera. And, um, you know, these are examples I often bring up when we talk about this. Uh, and they seem a bit far away, but the similarity really, like, speaks for itself. Um, Animal Crossing mm. and Monster Hunter.
0: Mm. <laughs> so,
1: um, yeah, I... Quite looked forward to Animal Crossing. Um, I've played it in the past, but not that much. But with the pandemic and everybody getting into it, there was a lovely potential for community that I was really excited about. And people really tried and for a moment did form these communities. But my God, like, you know, ignoring things that are well-trodden over (laughs) that are problems with Animal Crossing what really disturbed me was when you could go to other islands and really like the only thing to do on these like little islands that you could visit that weren't already claimed and colonized was extract their resources. Mm -hmm. They only existed Mm -hmm. to be like extracted from. You Mm -hmm. went, you cut down all the trees on the island, you bashed all the rocks, you fished all the fish that were Mm -hmm. there, and now you're done with this place. You've completely ravaged the environment. Um there's no engagement whatsoever with like Mm -hmm. the implications of what you're doing. It's totally fine, guys. Mm -hmm. And you take it all back and you kind of, you know, reinvest in your capitalist fantasy of, oh, now I have more bell coins and now i get a bigger house than everybody else look how rich and powerful i am mm-hmm. um and then we go to monster hunter which was a fascinating experience for me in um not just like in my game experience in which i went in and one of the first missions of um I'm trying to remember which monster hunter it was it was like the one before the new one I don't know if that helps
0: <laughs> yeah, it could
1: be legends I don't know it, okay, just one of them, it doesn't really matter which, but there was a very early mission in which you you know it's been established that you are um with like this group of people who have landed on a new world or whatever it's beautiful, gorgeous, pristine, you've set up this kind of temporary encampment that you plan to expand. And you're sent out into this pristine wilderness just teeming with plant life and animal life. And your job is to go and find this gorgeous animal that has all these babies and doesn't actually, like try to attack you and your job is to kill it in front of its babies which i believe will try to defend their mother as their mother runs around and screams trying to flee um and you kind of you kill it and you probably kill the babies as well because they're in your way and then you take the hide or whatever back to the encampment and they say oh cool like yeah, have a helmet made out of her head, or whatever the hell it is. And now, girl, keep doing this for, like, the rest of the game. Um, I, and what was really interesting to me about that was I went back out of that game, and I tried to talk about this with mm. other gamers and other people in the games industry, and no one could wrap their head around the problem of like of this like i i tried to talk about how monster hunter was like one of the most colonial fantasies i have ever experienced in my entire life and even these like you know i have friends who are academics and they you know they act like they're very engaged in Mm. like post-colonial studies and they just kind of stared at me blankly like like you idiot it's just a game that just Animals?
0: But but they're power they're power fantasies uh but but they give you a power that if you ever were to have it in the real world you'd be a sociopath mass murdering fuckhead who need to be shut down immediately and so they're not that they're, they're completely impossible to achieve uh, power dreams they're they're actually the sort of dreams of a mass murderer which is kind of weird isn't it
1: well so Hmm. I
2: actually think it's I, I actually think it's a little bit more about because I'm not really surprised that that people were did not want to engage with this point that you were making, Chantal, because I think. There is something I think we should talk about in terms of video games. I think they, they really speak to your id and someone who is actually just really enjoying it. This is their place of escape and this is a pleasurable for them. And you're kind of coming and telling them that their kink is problematic, you know. <laughs> and I think there's a real sense of like personal implica- implication and defensiveness. And I think in a kind of wider scale, I think lots of people don't want to be confronted with their own complicity. In systems of colonialism and capitalism and white supremacy, and I think by pointing out on a on an individual basis and in this space of like pleasurableness, and I think there's there's something about video games that's closer to pornography in some respects, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. Uh, you know, this undefinable, it just feels good, uh, kind mm-hmm. of aspect, and and I think that that kind of, you know, it's almost like to acknowledge this. This thing about Monster Hunter would would it was butting up against a kind of cultural like amnesia, repression, uh, denial about the the entire system, in in some senses, you know, and so mm-hmm. that's why it needs to be kind of shut down. And um, yeah, but it's it's
0: just not. To- it's, I don't think it's even thought about. I mm-hmm. mean. It's because it's part of a franchise that was all about like, oh, let's find a sort of darker, more adult alternative to Pokemon or whatever the hell, like where we just beat a bunch of like cool looking monsters, whatever. And that's like, that was, I think that was the thought behind that. But then you yeah, also have... Like,
1: I think what Magna is saying though, is that when confronted with the thought...
0: Oh yeah, then they'll deny
1: it, yeah. Um, that, yeah that's like where the true problem arises. Because yes. it's one thing to... Mm-hmm kind of stew in ignorance, but it's a whole other to actually be presented with the argument for complicity. Well, but
0: then you get the and this game is not poli- then you get the this game right. is not political argument.
1: And and I think
2: and I think you know you kind of hit upon that as well. Like this is they're not really thinking about it. But what comes out like what what uh, pleasures and desires and design choices does someone make when they're not intentional about it? I think reveals quite a lot about your internal implicit biases and 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 the the kind of cultural ideas and tropes that you've imbibed. Uh, and then you're kind of coming and telling people who are um who don't act, who see this all, all as completely neutral uh and mm-hmm. universal mm-hmm. that actually no, this is all marked and this says something and even in your you know and the, the the more and more that you say oh but this is not political you know as we all know like there's no such thing as as, as a mm-hmm. game that isn't political there's no work of art there's no utterance that's not political uh, and you said this,
0: intentional yeah, you yeah. said intentional which is such an important word um mm. or directional even
2: almost. <laughs> there we go
0: Well, <laughs> i don't know um,
1: chanel <laughs> <it works. laughs>
0: yeah chanel any, any chanels really mm-hmm. yeah um but uh it, the the idea that everything that you put like as a writer especially mm. right uh i mean a good writer writes everything for a reason mm-hmm like everything that you put on that page is there for a reason. So technically, every artist whenever they approach something, do it for a reason. Mm-hmm. Game industry, the game industry takes it very personally when we go like games aren't art. Well, they will start being art if the work that's being done within it is done with intent.
2: Yeah, if I it's mean, done if it's
0: with that intent. <laughs> Oh sure, that's yeah, no. that's that's always debatable. Like that, but still,
1: whole episode. <laughs> but,
0: and, and if games are about gameplay, then the then the mechanics themselves are the most essential part of of on, on which you sh- in which you should fuse, like Absolutely. put your intent. That,
2: that is, I mean, I think I I talk about this in my talk, right? That the moral lesson of a video game is not told through cutscenes or dialogue or story in a traditional sense, but through mechanics and through gameplay um yeah you know
1: i think you know design is mm. really the the operating word here yeah. um it is it, that is the foundation that is the mm-hmm. ground up what is it we design how are we making design choices like where are our intentions and where are our influences coming from sir um, i mean talking I- of talk <laughs> like, I like to talk about semiotic design, right? Um, yeah, sir. So, so, um, yeah, it's like laughing at me. Mm-hmm. Time to get real natty. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: there she goes. <laughs>
1: oh, shit. see how I just sat up in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I won't I go into it, but essentially, um, semiotics is, um, and I will bastardize this a bit, because this is my, this is the way I like to explain to people. Um, semiotics is really the study of meaning, how things come to have meaning, how they acquire meaning, and how meaning is transmitted. Um, and like, you know, in a way, all design is it fundamentally has to engage in the process of semiotics, which is the transference of meaning into a communication vessel, which is then transmitted to the person who will receive it. Um, but really engaging with like that word of like semiotic or of meaning um, I think it's like a real come to Jesus moment that we have to have Mm. in the games industry. But we have to say like, it's not just game design. Like design is not some abstract like thing that we perform. It is not just Oh, I'm just slapping things down. I'm going to send a blueprint off to the programmers and the artists. Design is, um, it is our thought process. Mm-hmm. It is a summation of our influences and our beliefs and what we think mm-hmm. is important to other people's experiences. Um, and like, there's a lot of responsibility that really like should come with these kinds of decision makings that have a kind of like end recipient in mm-hmm. mind.
0: But I also think that the the designer. Like, because we'll always be seen as freaks, right? For, with most sort of, in, in an industry that is still very much tech dominated, mm. um, you know, where they sort of like, oh God, there's, there's the person that doesn't know what, it, how, what it actually takes to implement the stuff, like giving us some fucking ideas, right? Um, that's always been very much the approach to designers and write Oh, writing is usually just slapped on at the end as a sort of narrative layer on top of our really great mechanics that we've done sep- separately and almost without any consultation of the sort of from the narrative side. But um, what's what I find uh, there was a point, and I've completely fricking butchered it in my own brain. But uh, remind me. <laughs>
1: design Um, is intentional
2: (laughs) yeah and and narrative design is kind of outposts of humanities in in a tech dominated stem yeah oh yes yes
0: yes thank you no i was i did this thing which like my my publisher on my game thought was like a completely weird thing to do Mm. at first with the last worker is uh first we start designing the mechanics for the game knowing what the theme of the game was and we start really like honing that stuff and make sure it all kind of works and finding out what what was possible to do within the engine all that kind of stuff and they all thought i was procrastinating which i was with the script uh for the longest time but eventually when it came to the point of actually having to bloody write the thing Mm -hmm. i then wrote it and i wrote it with like with consulting every part of the team at Mm -hmm. all points. Like, is this post, can we do this? Can we just do this? Can we do this? And whatever. And it really probably got on the nerves a little bit. At some point when I really thought I'd figure it out, I said, right, let's do, let's all sit down on beanbags, all of us. Mm -hmm. Let's get the publisher in as well. They can Mm -hmm. sit really far in the corner, but I want them to be there. (laughs) No, no, I love them very much. Um, (laughs) But everyone got to be in the room and we did this and I did this reading. I just read the whole game from start to finish. Like, not because I wanted them to hear my bloody voice but i thought like let's just like let's 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 be this like village sort of story uh sort of storyteller kind of thing for because that's what we're ultimately doing like through mechanics i said we're going to be sharing something and then i said to them and there's something i didn't need to explain to my wonderful friends at wolf and wood who would make in the game because they're brilliant but uh i said like put that intent behind everything. Hmm. Every mechanic has to feel like his emotion in this moment. Every mechanic has to feel like the conflict that the scene is, is giving him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I've realized in the process of doing this that what I was talking to Harry, the lead programmer, uh, in the way that I would talk to an actor on a film. Hmm. And I realized, shit, he's, he's a fucking actor. Hmm. Like his, he's, he's acting with code. Hmm. And he's a storyteller. yeah. and I, yeah. I really and, and, and then I realized, um, of course it's called a programming language. Hmm. It's not tech. It's a language. Hmm. And once we start valuing the people on our teams, a story we're all telling. Shit. we are yeah. storytellers. We're story creatures. That's all we do from the very beginning when, since we're born like we just we just want to relay something to someone else so they do something in response whether it's a, a a a human or an animal or a plant like we're communicating that's what we do so let's fucking say something with every element that we put into this game
2: i think that's so true and i think actually narrative design on a team when it's at its best is also is 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 also about um empowering the other team members in their various yes. fields to be able to think of themselves as storytellers and to be able to translate the themes and ideas and concepts uh you know not only to the player but to the other members of the team in a way that they can actually you know understand them and use them and and use that to fuel their specific creativity um Mm -hmm. you know rather than you know, you as the narrative designer going in and saying, okay, I need this, this, and this. I think it often works so much better when, when you're able to convey, here is the goal. Like, this is what we're trying to communicate to the player. This is the feeling. What can you do from your expertise to bolster that or to give us more affordances or, or, or ways to kind of tell this story and, and actually like very little of the story of a game or the, the meaning of a game, um, much less of it is in your hands, I think, as a narrative designer in a video game, as opposed to when you're a novelist or, um, or something like that, right? Uh, I think this idea of the the semiotics of design, I think, is is very powerful, um, and I think to to kind of mark that and make that strange uh, for the industry is partly, you know, I think something that's really important for for all of us who are little outposts of humanities to do. Um, rather than just kind of go, well, this is just how it's done. Okay, the gun is the mechanic. That's just that's just how it is. We almost don't have to think about that. No, let's think about that. Like, what is the meaning of this? You know, actually, I think if you look at most AAA games, really the, the meaning of them is that most of them are stories of men having uncomfortable emotions that they can't deal with and achieving catharsis through violence. You know, that's, that's the story. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was mean, like, that's the patriarchal kind mm-hmm. of like myth, right? Yeah,
0: I, I yeah. feel seen. Um, <laughs> right,
2: <laughs> but it, it's
0: it's yeah, it's interesting, like because the ultimate monster hunter game and the one that actually has semiotics in its design mm. uh, is is Shadow of the Colossus, mm. right? Where. Where you have, where where you're going out on these impossibly long journeys in order to find and actually collect them all, hunt them all. These are massive giants that walk and lumber through these epic landscapes as this lost little man who's mm. heartbroken. Maybe you don't mm. quite know because it keeps it abstract. And then you meet these creatures, and there's a sadness about mm. them because they realize that you're only there to kill them, but they will, and you don't quite know why you're doing it either. Mm. And, and the whole game is infused with this struggle and with this psychological heft and with that sadness of getting rid of these titans that, you know, that had meaning before you entered this world in your selfish pursuit to achieve whatever.
2: Hmm.
0: And that's gorgeous you know mm. and fuck every game that does something <laughs> should think to... about why it's doing it like we
2: need more horrible little man games rather than call <laughs> <poor> big boy <laughs> games yeah.
1: Yes. that's what <laughs> that's what we're I, mean, look, I was a big fan of Alicia suit Larry growing up mm-hmm. so. <laughs> 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 um, I'm like, I'm right with you.
0: I actually preferred James Bond when he was just a sexist prick because it mirrored the fact that he's a murderer walking yeah. around just killing people willy nilly in the name of a government. It made sense for me for him mm. to be a sexist asshole. Yeah. I was like, yes, of course he's a dick. He's a fucking <laughs> Look at spy. Him. Look at this <laughs> dick. Obviously. And now he's like, oh, yeah, I have feelings. I don't give a fuck about James Bond having feelings. <laughs> he's a murderer.
2: But I mean, I think this kind of almost goes back to now stan culture, right? In that I think it's really difficult for creators. Uh, And I think this goes from even like little indies all the way up to big triple eight to make games where like the protagonist is not someone to be looked up to. Like almost everyone is made a hero now, Um, you know, and you can try your best to, to kind of convince your audience that this person is terrible, but they will be glorified somehow.
1: Ah, the <laughs> complicated hero, are sir work?
2: Right, absolutely. Like we love, we love the Nazi analog mass murderers. rent
1: forever. and here's PewDiePie. Yeah, and- I, oh, no. I- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. That's what Paul's for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll just make sure that PewDiePie talks about this episode, and we'll we'll be fine because we'll have lots of clicks.
1: Yeah. I mean the great the true quest
0: Meg, where are you going next with your your journey?
2: With my I'm currently working on a game called Thirsty Suitors with Outer Loop, um, who are a wonderful way, like they're fully remote studio. So a little bit like this um podcast, you know, um the teams kind of spread out all over the world. Um you know, there's it's, and it's really—it's actually a really like diverse. It's a minority-led studio. So, um, my collaborator on the narrative is Chandana Eknayaka, who's Sri Lankan. Uh, Sri Lankan. We did for Falcon
0: Age. We did Falcon Age yeah, as well, we which was a lovely Falcon game. We worked
2: Falcon Age together. Um, but it's actually my first time in the industry closely collaborating with um, a, another brown person. And I've been <gasps> in this industry years. You know, unite
0: those people. What's going to happen?
2: <laughs> right. I mean, and I, I have to say, you know, as dismissive as I was about kind of representation and diversity, one of the one of the really nice things about it is not having to explain colonialism. So a lot of my career is is either going in consulting or onto teams, and and kind of, you know, explaining colonialism and then having to have the argument about why it's important to recognize. Um, You know, and while that's valuable to do, it's exhausting, Um, Mm. you know, and that's kind of creative time that you could spend actually thinking about the game that you're going to be making. Um, And I think I think maybe the most interesting thing for me on this project is uh, thinking about the protagonist, who's um, a young South queer South Asian woman, you know, very similar to an immigrant woman, similar to me in some ways, but she's American, which is very different. Um, And I think that's that's a real hard leap for me as well. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. being making a game that's American and writing in in an American accent and things like that. But um, but as the as the the entire team is kind of on board with this idea that we are making this for for us rather than for like the white player. Uh, you know, th- who is um, a kind of imaginary... I just,
0: can- just cancelled my pre-order, by the way. Um-
2: <laughs> right, of course, exactly, right? You know, uh, in fact, the game will just not play if it senses the color of your skin, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but, you know, that the white player is a kind of marketing concept, construct and as a design construct, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the way that kind of James Baldwin talks about um, the little mm-hmm. white man uh that 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 kind of sits on your shoulder and whispers to you as a black writer when you're when you're trying Mm -hmm. to write and and farts in your ear and pulls at your hair and he's this kind of troublesome pernicious figure Um, and i think this is the first time in my career where
0: wakanda forever
2: wakanda forever (laughs) speaking of perniciousness but uh but but you know kind of it's it's very liberating in a way to to not have to be thinking about Oh my god this is this is my main audience and of course we still want we want everyone to play this game but the idea that that the white player is invited into this game almost like a guest you know rather than as the owner the conqueror the dominator you know please take your shoes off at the door and, and behave respectfully, and, and maybe you'll have fun <laughs> on the way. But this isn't your house in that sense. You know
0: what I love about this? is like I, I, if, if, if This is like combining what, what Chantal just said about empathy and embodying someone mm. else, hmm. and you talking about being invited into another culture, another person, another family's home, Yeah, is that this differentiates us from uh, the escapists. Because Hmm. instead of making people escape into our worlds, we give them a trip Hmm. or we allow them to
1: travel somewhere. Invite them home.
2: Well, but I think it's who is the escape for and who is, you know, because I would say in some ways, this is an escapist fantasy for a lot of like immigrant kids and brown kids and black kids and and marginalized folks while being while not pandering to like the power escape fantasy of the white player. Oh, oh, Absolutely.
0: yes yes but but it's also but i want what i love about it as well though is like you you are inviting people to actually empathize yeah uh whether they like it or not because once you're in it you're it um yeah. with with this other culture like you are the foreigner in this now like you oh, yeah. you white player you come you're invited into this thing yeah and you're you're part of it you the mechanics will embrace you like this this culture will invite you to to engage with everything Mm -hmm. as we are as we do naturally yeah but but you're not here to conquer it yeah you're not here to dominate it because this world has its own rules Mm -hmm. and its own culture etc and then it will also hopefully make you miss where you come from and make you then apply what you've learned here to that place
1: but fuck centering the white player mm. again, like, in this oh, conversation. No, that's what, I, know, that's like, what I'm... I'm I'm not going to, I'm not accusing you of anything. But, like, you know, just for for those listening, I'm like, there is a tendency to do this, um, you know, in works of uh, particularly people of color, especially when they're writing about their own cultures. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, you know, like, you can't see me. I am half Indian myself. I'm a very pale half Indian, <laughs> but um, yeah, so like, you know, this is something I'm quite passionate about and something mm-hmm. that I've, you know, written as well about and something that I think is really important to call out because it's so, um, it, it's so easy to slip by, but there is even when we're having discussions like this around like things like empathy and how we can kind of progress the world in our culture. There is this constant refrain of like always bringing back the work to how it affects white culture and white people and the yeah. white you know recipient and audience so it's like oh isn't it great that like these people of color are making a you know a story about people of color <laughs> yeah. and like isn't it good what it'll do for the white people and it's like fuck that like no but know. i was just i
0: was just responding know oh, i was just responding to to what megna said about the uh the fact that this is actually not uh, for uh, made for white people, um, and but if they were to engage with it, if they were, if a white person were to come into it, like to me, the, and, and also, also in response mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. what I loved so much but about you're, still, earlier, you're
1: bringing it back. You're making. It, you're still bringing it back. No, the to reason the white I bring, player.
0: <laughs> in, because it, it just <laughs> been mentioned. No, I'm not. What I'm, what, what I've personally am passionate about is that the only thing that we have in common, all of us as, as people, is that we're different, as yeah. individuals. We're all fucking different. like Because ultimately, if we're not going to be defined by one inter- interest group, then, we, then ultimately we realize that we are actually made up of hundreds of them, each one of us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I love about games. Like, like Give that's... me that super specific, per- super complex world of all these crazy interest groups coming together and forming this unique thing. And okay, then invite but, me. In.
1: Yeah, you know I adore you. And that's why I'm absolutely gonna call you out right now. <laughs> yeah. um, the reason I bring this up is because Megna corrected you and said that actually this is a great escapist fantasy for like people of color who don't actually usually have that. And mm-hmm. instead of seizing on how interesting that is and how important it is mm-hmm. for, you know, people of color to have that and how we can explore mm-hmm. the what that means, it's the conversation has been brought back to what that can do for white people. and how Okay, that I,
0: I appreciate that, but that was not players. my... That yeah, was not no, my
1: I point. absolutely know it wasn't. And that's like, I feel ethically, um, you know, I feel the ethical imperative to bring this up in this space of like mm-hmm. thoughtfulness and like self-reflection just to like, to ping that because there is that mm-hmm, tendency mm-hmm. for the most well-meaning people um, in the world and people who really care about this stuff, but like are just like stuck in a cultural dialogue of like, how do we like get past colonialism? How do we do yes. this? Like, yes. okay, this is how we're doing it. I'm like, this is, you know, it's circular.
2: And and I think there's that that actually is a really interesting point as well. Cause I think one of the things that frustrates me sometimes mm. as a marginalized mm. creator is the this feeling as though all of our work is a moral corrective. And and I yeah. think that lends to this feeling of, oh, it's going to be boring, it's going to be preachy, because that right. is really the only way in which kind of we're taught to read this type of work like taking your medicine and the truth of thirsty suitors which I think you know the title which I find utterly ridiculous but I think is really helpful in this sense right because it's so unserious Um, and I think it's hard to imagine a game called thirsty suitors being preachy Uh, and that's something we really kind of you know especially in terms of our marketing and how we talk about it really design against because uh, it's actually a very joyful, fun, silly, surreal, colorful, um, ridiculous, absurd adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than, you know, and, and I, I, I would say in some ways that's been... Um, so my the, 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 the previous sort of big game that I did that, that started my career is, is called 80 Days. And it's this kind of anti-colonial adventure, uh, kind of interactive. I mean, we talked a little bit about how people don't like to read Uh, books anymore but you know certainly it's it's sort of an interactive novel in some ways but um it's been very interesting for me to think about my experience uh as a designer and writer on these two projects so i would say looking back 80 days is still about reaching the white player
0: i adore it when chantal uh, like Slaps me down and, and reminds me of things. And I hope I I can have served served the same function for, for my friends. Uh, because we are programmed and we are and we are mechanized by these mechanics. And I also feel that through the power of my art, Bobby Kotick will pick up my game and play it and it will soften his heart. And right. he will... That's,
2: but that, that's a very interesting power fantasy you have as a designer. And it will be really interesting to think about how it plays out in your work, you know? like <laughs> yeah. an intentional thing.
0: I, I, I actually want to make a game that is so triple A, right? But mm. that is like in in its... And it's not what I'm making at the moment because I don't have the budget yet. But next one. <laughs> that is so triple A and so fucking bombastic and so... Um, so incredibly like commercial in its sort of appeal that, but ultimately undermines the whole bloody thing. Um, that is my goal <laughs> because I'm a fucking maniac. I want to, yeah, I'll make a fucking game for white people. Like
2: <laughs> that, is a fantasy of a lot of, that is a fantasy of a lot of white designers though, actually. And, and you know, the, the, the anti-capitalist and anti-colonial ones, uh, in that they the, the fantasy of changing the minds of, <laughs> of uh the industry and but Uh-oh. it's uh, uh you know it's, yeah it's funny like because because in some ways i'm like I, it's so liberating for me to not give a damn about changing Bobby kotick's <laughs> um opinions or ideas into <laughs> almost like <The> power. <laughs> going, going back to the like let's not talk about Elon Musk idea um in a way but um Hey, we should probably we should probably <laughs> restart our conversation because otherwise we'll start on a whole different tangent.
0: I mean, we could we could really go on for hours, mm. and and actually, I hope we can. Mm. It would be lovely to go on for hours. Uh, hopefully, we can find a physical space in which we can all do that soon. Oh my god! Um, no, but Meg, I just wanted to say, mm. uh, I you are. You bring great direction to this industry um, and you're a voice of real positive, it's not even change because uh, uh, it's just fucking natural what you're doing as far as I'm concerned like like uh, calling people like oh they're, they're 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 trying to change things it's like no they're actually being real like mm. compared to everyone else who's actually just a, 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 you know um embracing the status quo not even thinking you're thinking you're thinking you're saying you're doing and i really appreciate it about you and and what you do and the people that you do it with and so um thank you for being on the show
2: no, us. it's uh, it's my pleasure, and, and I think actually this is, to me, this is the the kind of pleasure. If we talk about community, I think you know that this is, these are some of the ways in which we kind of find community. And I think by talking about these things, um, in a in a kind of clear and political and intentional way, um, we I I hope we're helping give some um, language or legitimacy to so many other folks in the industry who. Um, I think have these ideas, but but I think the industry absolutely squashes that down or calls you ridiculous or is not a receptive place for them. Um, and I think it's it's deeply helpful um, to be to, to kind of legitimize these ways of thinking and these ways of seeing and I think not even just a singular way of seeing because I certainly don't think that my my approach is the approach and, and the only one. Uh, but but just simply to have a kind of intellectual curiosity and a sense of artistic responsibility um, and a little bit of humanities thinking, um, you know, in this uh, otherwise quite barren <laughs> landscape. Well, the, the,
0: the only thing that I'm asking of people in this industry, of any, of any creative industry, of any industry, actually, mm. is ask yourself why you're doing something. Mm. Why are you doing it? What are you trying to say with it? What are you trying to achieve with it? Is the only goal is to make money and to make the rich even richer, you're probably doing something wrong. That's it.
2: You know, but I actually, I really think that most developers in the industry now, I mean, you know, I'm not talking about money, money Man and C-Suite in the executive level. You know, that's where like the financialization of leisure and, and, and all of the, the, the worst mm, aspects mm, of mm. our industry are kind of entering into it. But I, I really think that most people in the industry came to it out of a sense of joy or mm-hmm. love or uh, a game touched them. Um, or games were a place of escape for them, or uh, you know and and I think sometimes in, escape not in the in in the sense of being able to ignore everything else, but escape in a sustaining sense. you know mm-hmm. I think sometimes mm-hmm. when you, your life is terrible for whatever reason or difficult to manage, mm-hmm. games can provide a, a useful place of rebuilding resilience um, and rest you know, and I think yeah. also when we talk about community. Uh, we need to talk about not just, you know, I think anger and rage and frustration can can light these sparks, but then how do you, you know, retain people and how do you build community and sustain it? And that's kind of an act of, of nurture, right? It has to be kind of tended to, and it can't run on, on, on rage alone. Um, you know, so I, I actually think these are important conversations to have as games become more mainstream and as money people and, and capital uh, look to us as, an, as a new mode of extraction, as, as more and more people kind of globally uh, gain access to games. And, and I, you know, I've said before that I think games are the dominant art form of, of our times and of capitalism, colonialism, you know, and so, so I think it's ever more important to push back against that and, and to maybe even help wake up uh, you know our fellow developers and creatives to the insidious, creeping nature of financialization. And, and if we want to retain any of what brought us here and any of the joy and possibility of this space, it's going to be a fight and a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we are going to have to do some, some sabotage and subversion (laughs) and organizing and it's, and there's joy in that too, you know, and I, I think I don't want to be completely doom and gloom about it. I think it's important to have clarity, but also recognize that, that, you know, yeah, it's a fight, like get ready. It sounds, you know, that sounds, that sounds fun. It sounds more fun than stewing in nihilism and purposelessness and, and despair to me you know which seems to be the only up other option
0: let's be a term that that chantal introduced early into this into this podcast and it's warrior poets hmm. and wonderful uh, let's be it let's do it let's fight together let's fight for each other and let's fight yeah. for meaning and yeah. let's fight for meaning and everything it's 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 worth it our time is worth it our players are worth it our audience members are worth it and this freaking beautiful planet that we're on as well so and thank you for being on it and um and on the show and um see you soon somewhere directional is hosted by Jörg tittle in london chantal ryan in adelaide and produced by paul bennon in los angeles for rapid eye movers the theme song was composed by oliver krauss and Frally Hines. Follow us on Twitter at Directional Show and listen to past episodes at directional.show. See you next time.